The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, The Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And yes, I told you I'm live. We are live at this time, but we are pre-recording the show. And uh, while you're there, you're going to see something a little different. There'll be two videos at the top of the screen. The one on the left is going to be Bradley's show from the previous day. You can watch that up until 3 o'clock Eastern time, at which time he will be live. And then on the right side, you'll probably see a different image or the Sons of Liberty logo here. Just click on the play button. 
and it will uh, start playing for you, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a Rumble icon. Click on that icon. It'll take you over to our chat on Rumble. We are streaming on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Be sure and subscribe to the channel there, as well as BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page on that, and then also uh, DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty, as well as my public and private page on Facebook for whatever that's worth. But a lot of our friends are over there, so we appreciate you guys still tuning in on Facebook for however long they give us that opportunity uh, since they shut down our main Facebook page. Also, while you're there... Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. You get one of those in the evening. It gives you all the articles we put out and our contributors put out at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then if you want our ministry email, you get that once a week. Go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. Sign up for that on the front of the page there. If you'd like to support us, and keep us out there on the internet, radio, and among the 50 states, there's a donate button at the top of the page, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. That link is also available at the top of the page, and we appreciate each and every one of you who support us. Our store is also available. I didn't open uh, this up. I'll click over there real quickly and see if it'll bring it up real quick. But this week we're highlighting in the store the Prayer That Rocked the Capitol uh, DVD. And again, this is a donation normally of $20. Now through... Uh, midnight on Saturday, you can get 30% off of that by using the promo code PRAYER. And this is Bradley going to the Minnesota State House. Uh, he was invited there to off, o- o- offer the opening prayer. He did, and within minutes, the Mockingbird media went to work attacking him. Uh, even the right and the left, as you call them, the Republicans and Democrats, as you call them, the conservative and liberals, as you call them, uh, they're really the lawless or the law for. They're, they're one or the other. And uh, they went to attacking him, too. So if you'd like to see how that all transpired and everything, the DVD is available. And this week only through Saturday at midnight, you can get it for 30% off when you use the promo code PRAYER. And we'll have highlight, we'll have um, uh, bonus videos for you guys in the archive. Uh, usually there's anywhere from 5 to 12 or 15 of those things that I collect each day. And I share this with you so I'm not eating up all my time talking about various subjects. But uh, they're there for you guys in the archives, sonsoflibertymedia.com, later on today. Just look for the same title that we have here. And uh, with that said, we've got a special guest with us this morning. We're going to be covering uh, an issue that I think is I think it's vital. In fact, we're going to be covering several issues uh, over the next over today and then into next week that are going to be these issues of law, and they're going to be things that most of us weren't taught. And we often fear going into a courtroom uh, instead of walking in authority in that. And so part of what we want to address today is 12 presumptions of the courts in the United States against the people like you and me. And to help me do that is uh, my friend Ron Gibson. And uh, Ron, I want to welcome you. First time here to the Sons of Liberty. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yes, sir. And we've got a little bit of an issue, so I want to let people know. We've got a little bit of issue with uh, some feedback. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be muting Ron while I'm talking so we don't get that feedback. And then once I am quit talking, Ron's fine. Everything sounds great. But, Ron, we got 12 uh, presumptions here. Now, one of the things that you, you you gave me a sheet to work off of here, and some of these things I've been learning uh, very slowly, but I have been learning, and some of our friends who listen have been learning some of these things too. And let me just give an open to this. 
A Roman court, which is mirrored by our prevalent state and federal Article I courts, does not operate according to any true rule of law, but by presumptions of the law. Therefore, if presumptions prevent, presented by the private bar guild are not rebutted, they become fact and are therefore said to stand true or as truth in commerce. There are 12 key presumptions asserted by the private bar guilds, which, if unchallenged, stand true. They are public record, public service, public oath, immunity, summons, custody, court of guardians, court of trustees, government as executor beneficiary, executor de son tort, I hope I said that correctly, incompetence, and guilt. So, Ron, can you give us just a brief introductory here of what some of this stuff, how it works, and then we'll get into the specifics of each one. But can you kind of give us an introduction to these things so that people kind of have a handle on what you're talking about with this, with these presumptions? Well, first of all, uh, Tim, let me say, what people perceive the courts to be is not the case at all. we we live in a day to where it's anarchy, tyranny, socialism, communism, and we walk around and think we're free. Uh, one of the most dangerous places on earth is the courtroom. When, in fact, you have no moral code for that courtroom, you have immoral people in position. You know, there's a scripture in my Bible I love it. it. Says never was a man so vicious as an ungodly man, or lion so vicious as an ungodly man with power. And boy, we're seeing that manifested every single day. <clears throat> Let me say, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> Our nation was founded upon godly principles and God's law. It's called common law, and that went along for a number of years. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you have a group of people who are anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-anything that's good and wholesome. And so then they decided uh, that they would persuade Congress. And a lot of the congressmen and senators were more than glad to do it. But in 1946, June 11th, Congress passed an unlawful act that they had no constitutional uh, authority to do. And I'm sure you've heard the term, and it's called the Administrative Procedures Act. What that did, unconstitutionally, pushed our Constitution aside and pushed common law aside so that it was no longer considered on the table as being the ultimate authority. Okay? Okay. Here's the danger. Once they did that, then law was not considered. What became considered were statutes and codes and the term rule of law. I'm sure you've heard that term all the time. And every time I hear it, I just see red. This angers me to the bone. Because what they're telling you, we're going to use this law or this rule, excuse me, and purport it and and as though it were law, of which it is not. 
then they implement a thing called statutes and codes. Statutes and codes then were printed from 1946 until 1954. And then there have been revisions ever since. But what that did was implement uh, to the American people that in fact, these are now the new laws. And a statute and code is not law, folks. There's no way it can be a law. There's no way it can become a law. They tell you that, and people think that's the case. But I can tell you, I'm a constitutional lawyer, and I've been in this stuff for 50 years. And I can tell you there's a real problem in this element, what we call law in the courts today. And that thing, Tim, that I sent you called the 12 presumptions of the law is just a manifestation of what happens, what the people don't see in a courtroom and a courtroom setting. Hmm. It's very, very dangerous. Now, I want to get back to something, and that is the issue that we started out with laws, as I mentioned. We then degraded down to statutes and codes. Instead of obeying God's law, now everybody is to obey man's law. Yep. Then when they abuse that to the point that it's almost non-recognizable, they drop the bar, the standard, if you please, and now the standard is called assumption and presumption. And that's what that's the subject matter they're going to be talking about here today. Okay. Ron, let me let me let me interject here. We got a little ticking going on. Whoops, see how that feeds back if I don't shut that off. We got a little ticking going on there. Can you turn down your speakers just a little bit? See if that'll that'll take away that ticking that we're hearing um, in the background. Okay, that helps. That helps a bit. Yeah, thank you. Oh, that took a that actually took a lot away my stuff, too. That's good. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, well, we can leave it on. I'm not hearing that feedback now. Okay, that's great. Right, now, there's something that you said. You said you're a lawyer, and uh, it's not just that you're a lawyer, but you made a distinction between lawyers and attorneys. Do I have that right? They're, they're two different animals, right? Absolutely. I do law classes, and... About a year and a half ago, I teach multiple uh, law courses, and I taught the, the, the class subject was why attorneys are not lawyers, and everybody seems to think, which is a horrible misconception, that attorneys and lawyers are one and the same, and I can tell you they certainly are not. They are diabolically opposed from each other, their function, their motive, their commitments, Everything is totally, totally segregated. Okay. All right. Now, can you tell us uh, exactly how that is? What distinguishes them? What distinguishes an attorney from a lawyer? Because some people say, well, I got an attorney at law. Isn't that a lawyer? What's the difference between the two of them? Well, first of all, attorneys deal only in statutes and codes. That is not law. That's why lawyers are called lawyers. They practice and administer law according to the true law uh, and God's law. That's the difference. And I could get in uh, attorney's uh, uh, oath is to the Bar Association. It is not to you and I, the people. They are not public servants. 
they are virtually in involved in a a a, a corporation for profit uh, mostly to, to to profit themselves uh boy i could go on and on with that subject but the very point that's really important for the folks to understand is the very fact that you want to be careful of an attorney. We're going to get into this in these 12 presumptions of the law. Excuse me, because what they represent, what they represent is not the true fact at all. Okay. All right. So attorneys would probably be a dime a dozen, uh, whereas a lawyer, an actual lawyer who knows the law, are very are sort of rare in among those breeds, right? That is correct. Okay. All right. So yeah. let's let's start. Go ahead. I'm just going to say there are certain institutions, thankfully, in this country that teach constitutional law and promote it and uh, thank God for it. But it used to be that this kind of stuff was taught in grade school, seventh and eighth grade, and then into high school and colleges. They don't want to touch it anymore. They don't want people to know what the rights are. They don't want to have property. It goes on and on and on and on. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, let's, let's start taking these one by one. Here's presumption one, the presumption of public record. And is that any matter brought before a lower Roman court is a matter for the public record when in fact it is presumed by the members of the private bar guild that the matter is a private bar guild business matter unless openly rebuked and rejected by stating clearly the matter is to be on the public record, the matter remains a private bar guild matter completely under private bar guild rules. Tell us what that means. Well, it basically means that when you go into a court and you give testimony, normally that is required to be placed upon the record. And what that means is that all the items are recorded and made a, a, a matter of record for the purpose that if, in fact, you need to do an appeal, then in essence, you have that that true and accurate record of which you can draw from to go to the appeals court. And so uh, what, what they have done is the fact that they don't put anything on the record. They don't want you to win in a court above them because it's a little old good old boys game that is being played out here. And it gets sickening the further in uh, that you see, see and understand what's happening. Okay. All right. Now, the, 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 second one, the second one here, the second presumption is the presumption of public service. This is that all the members of the private bar guild who have all sworn a solemn, secret, absolute oath to their guild such as the American Bar Association, by making additional oaths of public office that openly and deliberately contradict their private superior oaths to their own guild. Unless openly rebuked and rejected, the claim stands that these private bar guild members are legitimate public servants and therefore trustees under public oath. Now, when I read this, uh, and we talked about in the other one, uh, we're going to get to it in just a little bit about the government as the executor beneficiary. That would be the judge who comes out. They're presumed to be the executor, the beneficiary. When you answer this question, what is this presumption of public service? Can you help people understand the idea behind why they're being the executor beneficiary, your judge in the case, and why these guys automatically assume a position of trustee and what that's about? 
Well, basically because they know the bulk of the American public is ignorant of the law. It's that simple. But what? No. But, but I guess what I'm asking is, what is the judge, the executor, or beneficiary of, and what is the the attorney to the who has his allegiance to the American Bar Association? What is he a trustee of? Well, let's back up just a okay. minute, Tim. Sure. Simply because it's very important that your audience realizes something. Uh, attorneys take two O's. The first one is to the Bar Association, and then the second oath that they take is to what they call the public oath. That's where they stand up and say, I swear to defend the Constitution and, the, you know, da 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 What people don't realize is that that allegiance is always to the Bar Association first. They could give a hoot less about you and your rights and your property other than something from them to go to court on and take away from you. That's the whole motive here. That's why it's all under presumption. But they're misleading the public to the fact that they have given allegiance to uphold the Constitution and protect your rights and your property, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Their allegiance is to the Bar Association that's out to take everything that you own. They want to be the beneficiary of your life, your property, your rights, your money, the whole enchilada. That's what they're after. Okay. All right. So uh, my friend David, he, he talks about, uh, you know, addressing the court, making them aware that a public service is a public trust. He'll ask whether or not they took an oath to uphold the Constitution. And I'm assuming that what he's doing in saying, if they say, yes, I did, which they got two conflicting oaths here, one to the Guild and one to the, the, the Constitution, he'll say, then I, I accept your oath. Now help me sort this matter out. And so is by doing something like that, is he binding them to the Constitution and not to the Guild? Or what's going on there? Well... He's trying to, but he does not because their original oath is to the Bar Association. They'll lie their teeth off and clear down their shoelaces on the thing of giving lip service to you and I or somebody that confronts them. So any of these bar issues and presumptions that we're talking about today have to be rebutted. And how you rebut it is that you challenge that validity on the basis that they are not competent because it's a conflict of interest. They've given two O's rather than one. So therefore, when you have an attorney to represent you on a thing, he takes total control of everything. That's why in a courtroom setting, you can't say anything if you have an attorney. He speaks for you. You're looked at as a thing, as an imbecile, as an idiot, as incompetent. Yeah, and we're going to look at that in a minute. I think some people are going to be shocked at how the, the court actually sees them. So basically it's to challenge them and say, you guys are holding two opinions here, right? You're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways, as James says, right? Is that what you're getting at the court is? Yes, Tim, because it's a conflict of interest right from the start. Okay. And you cannot have any kind of a, a, a judicial, if I can put it in that context, uh, a productive ending when there is a conflict because one of them is a fraud and the other one is trying to get the truth out. The other one is trying to lie to everybody and deceive everybody. And, and it's all predicated upon fraud. 
All of it. Okay. All right. Okay. So the third one here that we see is presumption number three. The presumption of public oath, and I guess this is kind of what we're what we were already jumping into here. All members of the private bar guild acting in the capacity of public officials who have sworn a solemn public oath remain bound by that oath and therefore bound to serve honestly, impartial, uh, impartially, and fairly as dictated by their oath. Obviously, it's not a moral code here. It's it's whatever's binding by their oath. Unless openly challenged and demanded, the presumption stands that the private bar guild members have functioned under their pri- under their public oath in contradiction to their guild oath. If challenged, such individuals must rest, er, recuse themselves as having a conflict of interest and cannot possibly stand under a public oath. Now, just on the top of my head, I got a question about that. If you call this out in a courtroom, would would that say? I mean, what judge or what uh, attorney or your prosecutor, if you're if you're in that kind of thing, what judge or prosecutor is going to stand down when you challenge them like that? I mean, they're going to give you a fight, aren't they? Well, <laughs> they better not, because the challenge that you need to make to that is the fact that prove me wrong. I'm I'm rebutting. The very fact that you have taken two O's, therefore it's a conflict of interest. Therefore, that's ground for dismissal of this case on the basis that now you're perpetrating fraud upon the court and you're perpetrating fraud upon me in this case. So prove me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's, 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 and it's a case people wonder. Well, where's the evidence for this? Well, they're they're saying they're a member of the bar association because so they're going to take an oath of that, and they're they're performing their duties in a court, uh, so they're going to be taking the the oath for the constitution. So that's that's just that should be a fact and evidence, I would think. It isn't like you have to really prove anything. That's just a fact and evidence, right? Well, first of all, their so-called uh, public oath uh, to support and defend the Constitution is nothing but a lie. Uh, I call it diarrhea of the mouth. Nothing but crap comes out of it. And uh, I'm, I'm really not sure how I want to say this, but it's really important that people understand these are not courts. These are corporate tribunals. These courts, these so-called courts, excuse me, do not have authority to fine you. They do not have authority to imprison you, and yet it's done every single day. And the reason being that people do not understand the very basic element of law. You're only bound by that corporate rules and regulations. There's a very famous case. I love quoting it. It's called City of Dallas versus Mitchell. And on page three of that ruling, the, the, the court said something very, very interesting, which is absolutely true. He said our rights don't come from government. He said our rights come from our creator. That's right. And we are not bound by government rules and regulations unless we volunteer to be subject to those rules and regulations. Did you hear what that said? Yep an element called volunteering and we got people volunteering every day to put themselves uh, uh, in the slaughterhouse 
uh, so to speak, uh, and and they don't even know the difference because the the administrative tribunals have no law enforcement authority, and to put a person in jail takes judicial and law enforcement authority. They don't have it. There's no way they can get it because they're not a court. Okay. All right. All right. Now, another another one that we got here. Number four, the presumption of immunity. And this is that key member uh, members of the private bar guild and the capacity of public officials acting as judges, prosecutors, magistrates, and clerks who have sworn a solemn public oath in good faith are immune from personal claims of injury and liability unless openly challenged and their oath demanded, the presumption stands that the members of the private bar guild as public trustees acting as judges, prosecutors, magistrates, and clerks are immune from any personal accountability for their actions. How can that be? Well, it's not. And the reason that I say that, the United States... Supreme Court here about six months ago, whatever it is, six, eight months ago, uh, ruled on that very subject and stated that any public servant that harms a citizen that in essence is subject to, to, to any kind or whatever types of tort, tort is a damage claim. So, but see, they project that they have that immunity. They claim that they have immunity and I'm trying to tell you they do not have immunity because they are purporting to be. And if they want to challenge and say, well, you know, we're not a public servant, so therefore I'm not subject to any liability. Now you got them we're <laughs> a very precarious position, let's put it that way. Okay. All right. So then the person can actually go back and, and deal with them individually. I, I noticed this. I want to bring this up and maybe you can answer. Maybe you can speak to it. Maybe you can't. Uh, but I recently was in court and we had a master at equity and we had a opposing attorney there. And one of the things that I pointed out to them was I took the role, I challenged their their issue that they're the executor or the beneficiary. And I said, no, no, that's me. I've got that. And they tried to say, no, no, for this, for this purpose, we're just going to call you the defendant. And I said, no, you're not, because I'm not the defendant. Um, and this has to do with the distinction between the all caps name and how my name is. And uh, they just rode right over my, my due process rights and everything else. Well, I come to find out, the mastered equity, as well as the court itself, isn't even registered uh, with the IRS, which is a huge no-no um, that they're not that they're not supposed to be a part of. So we're going to be dealing with that. But this this seems to to be that kind of thing. They wanted to say hands off to this, and I said, wait a minute, you guys have a fiduciary responsibility to me to do what's right. Uh, and to uphold this, your trustees in this in this whole thing. In fact, I declared them trustees. They have a fiduciary responsibility anyway. So that's already assumed. They presume that. So it was it was funny how they trampled on my due process rights. And then, but these presumptions are they were already these things. I just took the role as the executor or the beneficiary, and uh, they still steamrolled over it. But I've seen no action as a result of it. Well, but see, that uh, that's the way that they function. See, it used to be, if I can digress just a moment, going back to my comment about 
the Administrative Procedures Act being enacted unconstitutionally, and it was. After that happened, then in essence, the, the newly formed corporations then decided that they were going to change legal terms. One of the terms that they changed immediately was land and then redefined it to be defined as real estate, which means the state owns it. And I'll get into that a little later if you want, or another program about how they stole your titles. And uh, the second thing of it is that they changed uh, the, the peace officers or police forces to law enforcement. Uh, they changed the coroner from the coroner who has absolute full uh, discretion about his investigations. They then now call him the medical examiner and put them under the jurisdiction of the state police. And on and on and on it goes. And so what they've done in this thing is that they can control everything, every facet of our life, every part of possession that we own, etc. And so here we are now trying to fight a, a, a case in court when in fact they have no intention of letting you win simply because there's money involved. And not only is there money, there's huge money in it. I got a friend of mine that spent about 18 months in a state prison, and they put him in charge of the accounting of the state prison. And when he got out, he told me, he said, Ron, you wouldn't believe it. Here in the state of Oregon, he said the prison system and the money that's generated is the largest generating body of the entire state of Oregon. And I like to fell over. He said, absolutely. He said, you would not believe the bonds that are created. You get a ticket, there's a bond created, they make money. Yep. Go to court and make an appearance, there's a bond that's issued, yep. and they make money. Mm -hmm. When there's a judgment made, that's why you lose in court, because it's money to them. They don't care about justice or right or wrong or fairness. That's not even in their vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah, this is and this is what I've told people. I said when I say the cops are literally agents of the state when they're pulling you over for 5 miles over the speed limit or whatever the case may be, all these little codes and things, they're making money. In fact, when you go down through there it says it says there's an officer fee when you get charged 200 something dollars, 500 something dollars for a ticket or whatever. The officer's getting paid, the court's getting paid, the judge is getting paid, and you're the one they're robbing. They're taking the fruit of your labor for something, for a crime that has not been committed. Because a crime actually occurs when either you damage somebody's property or you harm someone in some way. And in this case, we haven't had any of that. So I'm glad you brought that up because I've said that on the air several times, that they're making money every time people go to court. And I had one officer, or former officer, comment and say, well, I'm former LEO, and I know if you go to a site and they do this children thing, oh, somebody wasn't buckled in, and so they're half decapitated or something like that. That's why we write speeding tickets. No, it's not. No no cop that I know, if you've got a situation where your child has been killed, they're not going to write, they're not going to pile on on you. They're, most of the cops are, that I know aren't going to pile on you. But when you're just going down the road and nobody's been harmed, and they've been going faster than you are to catch you, they're out there. That is a racket. And I, I watched in Charlotte, North Carolina, like 3,000 people a day or more are going through the traffic court for speeding you know, tickets and stuff like that. That is a huge racket 
uh, that's that's chalked up money for the state. And you're saying they're doing it, the same thing in the prisons. We've talked about that, too. It's an amazing thing in America. The land of the free, home of the brave. We have the largest prison population in the world. It's incredible. And it's all because there's a bond created. Yep. And have you ever wondered why they arrest somebody, a drug dealer or, you know, rapist or whatever? And pretty soon they'll let him go. The reason being that it creates another bond. Hmm. And when they arrest him again, there's another bond. I mean, these bonds are going back and forth like uh, driving 80 miles an hour past the picket fence. I mean, my golly, the, the money flow. And let's digress a moment just to illustrate this issue of bonds. I've got a friend of mine in 2008 bought a $500,000 home in a place here called Jacksonville kind of a high, high-end uh, community. And as a result of that, uh, he had it five years, and then when the recession continued under the Obama administration, he then got behind in his payment. So the fi- finance company started coming after him. And he said, Ron, he said, what do I do? So I said, let's get and hire a, 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 a securitization auditor and order uh, 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 audit, I'll get it right here pretty quick, <laughs> sorry about that Okay. and find out what happened and uh, the transaction of his signature and the promissory note three weeks later we get a certified report back certified, okay that this thing is this, that nuts on and what we found in that report was that that promissory note had generated in that five-year period of time over $97 million of money that all of these bankers who were swapping these back and forth and buying and trading and whatever on the thing, he doesn't get a dime of that, and yet they're wanting to foreclose on something they never put any money up for. I mean, it's we're surrounded by criminals. We're surrounded by thugs and thieves, and the American people just keeps taking it. Now, part of the thing they don't know, but what I'm trying to tell you folks, you better start knowing. It's like the land. I do land patents, and that's the only true title the land there is. They're coming after your land, folks, and I mean they're coming after it. Yeah. So we get back to the subject. Yeah, yeah, Ron. We got it. We got some other stuff that's going on in the background, and, and folks, I apologize, but I, I think Ron said he had a speaker that's going bad. It's funny when I start talking, it goes away. It comes in when you start talking, but maybe we can fix that before we do the next show, which we're going to be doing on what you just said there, which is the land patents. And you said you want to get to a particular issue, so I'm, I want you to save that that issue we talked about a little bit before for the oh, land funny. patent show. And, and we'll see if we can do that. And I don't know if you might be able to fix the, uh, the thing because I didn't hear this the other day in the interview that I heard you in. But let's, go to, let's move on to number five. Boy, I mean, because we've got a lot to cover here in a short amount of time to do it. Presumption five. The presumption of summons is that by custom, a summons rebutted stands and therefore one who attends court is presumed to accept a position, a defendant, a juror, a witness, and jurisdiction of the court. Attendance to court is usually invitation by summons unless the summons is rejected and returned with a copy of the rejection filed prior to choosing to visit 
or attend. Now, these, these are words people want to keep up with. Visit and attend jurisdiction and position as the accused in the existence of guilt stands. Can you help people understand about this presumption of a summons? Right. The, anytime you get a summons, it will be accompanied by a complaint. The summons is nothing more than an invitation. Come into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. You are not obligated to go to that court because if you do, or you answer it, or you wait past the three-day time period, then you are in agreement by what they call tacit agreement. You're in agreement by your silence, okay? When you get that document, you sit right down to the table and you write across it diagonally with a red pen. I do not uh, consent to entering into this agreement. And this, underneath that, I do not consent to entering into any kind of a contract. And underneath that, sign your name and date it and ship it back to them. In other words, all of administrative process since 1946, when the Administrative Procedures Act was enacted, everything is by virtue of contract. Everything. If there is no contract, there's no liability. Okay. All right. So let's give an example of that. Let's say somebody has, I don't know, uh, a, they have an outstanding credit card debt, and the credit card company wants to take them to court, and they go to they they send them a letter saying, "You're you're destined to be here before the common pleas court." you know, such and such date, such and such time, does that person then turn around and write the court and submit it in there? They're not entering into a contract. They're not going to submit to the summons. Uh, they reject that, and they put it in the court record. And does that do away with it because they're not contracting to go in that court and for it to be heard? How does that work? Let it pursue you from that particular point forward. Then they're in breach of their regulation having to do with everything has to be a counter because a, a corporation cannot interact with the flesh and blood man or woman. That's why they always want you to get an attorney. If you go to court, they'll say, you know, do you want to have attorney? Do you have an attorney? Do we need to provide one for you in a, in a criminal case, etc., etc." So the very issue that when you reject that, you are stating that you're not willing to enter into any contract that binds you. That's the whole issue. It's like a permit, a building permit or driver's permit or whatever on the thing. Those applications is what bind you. It isn't the permit itself. You already bound yourself when you applied for it because you wrote your name down. Be careful, folks, what you sign. Okay. All right. So let me ask you that about a permit. So are you saying that if somebody, I don't know, they, they want to build a structure on their on their property, are you saying they should go and build it and not submit to a contract with the permit office in the state? Am I understanding that correctly, or is there something else well, going on? In part. Okay. Let me clarify that. i got to jump back to the patent. Just sure. A minute. That's fine. That's fine. If you haven't brought your land patent forward and you're still under your warranty deed, then you're obligated. You're, you're on the hook for all of this garbage. Permit, permit, permits, permits, and permits. But when you bring your land patent forward, it's unassailable at law, the Supreme Court has said. 
In other words, you can't touch it. It's not obligated. It's an allodial title. It means owing to no one. Okay. All right. And we're, and by the way, we're, just to plug it for the next show, uh, Ron deals largely with land patents. He helps people with their land patents and he has a, a certain fee he sets. We're going to talk about that in the, in the next episode and why that's so important because it does away with all of this stuff of us basically, I don't know, for a practical standpoint, I want to say renting the king's land, even though we allegedly paid it off and everything else. Uh, he, he's going to help us with that and understanding. Okay, so let's go to presumption six. The presumption of custody is that by custom, a summons or warrant for arrest unrebutted stands. And therefore, one who attends court is presumed to be a thing and therefore liable to be detained in custody by the custodians. This includes the dead legal fiction non-human person, that is the all capital letters name, and for you guys, I've made just brief mentions of it because I don't get into it really deep, but it's on your driver's license, it's on your social security card, it's on every kind of bill that you get. Your name is in all caps, and as little children, how are we taught to write our name? Upper lowercase. First letter is always uppercase, after that's lowercase, that's who we are. The state has created this straw man, this fictitious entity, uh, just like a corporation, which is what they've they've turned turned our name into. They've turned it into a corporation. So it says the legal uh, this includes the dead legal fiction non-human person that corporate government's rules and regulations are written for. Custodians may only lawfully hold custody of property and things, not flesh and blood, soul possessing beings. Unless this presumption is openly challenged by rejection of summons and or at court, the presumption stands you are a thing and property and therefore lawfully able to be kept in custody by custodians. Now, I'm just going to say this and you explain it. It seems, Ron, I can see a spiritual aspect to this all over the place. The Bible says we were dead in sins, right? But but God, who is rich in mercy, has quickened us. That means he made us alive. So we are no longer a dead man. We're a live man. And what they're presuming is we're a dead man. And we've got to say, no, 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 no. I am the living man. I'm not that fictitious entity that you claim is dead that you can just trample all over. Have I got it right? That's correct. Okay. That's why you want to speak up because you're a live human being, just like you mentioned. Dead people don't talk. Dead people can't talk. That's why they don't want to let you talk. That's why if you agree and allow all of this uh, straw man stuff to continue, then they're going to take you right down the primrose path, and they're going to rob you to death. They're going to beat you up every time they can. They're going to lie to you when the truth is sound better, and on and on it goes. Okay. All right. Now, I think that's pretty clear. I hope that's pretty clear to everybody. You're assumed dead. You're assumed to be a non-human. You're assumed to be a fictitious entity or a, some people use the term straw man. They're pushing up something saying it's you, and they're hoping that you're going to say, yep, I'm that guy, because the name looks similar, but it's different. It's similar, but different. And so if people can keep that in mind, that'll be helpful. Okay. Presumption seven. Hang on. Yeah, go ahead. I hope it really resonates and, and, and lands right in the middle of people's heart about what we're talking about here. You are considered a thing. Did, did you catch that? Yep. You are considered to be a thing. A thing has no rights, 
A thing cannot own property. A thing can't speak for itself. A thing can be kicked around, used, abused, whatever, <clears throat> by another person. So think about that. That's but but let's let, let me let me clarify something, Ron, because person has that idea of corporatism. We we are we are living, breathing individuals, humans. We're we're not a corporation. We're not a because they use the term person for corporation, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, I just I want people to understand how we've been, for lack of a better tar- a term, beguiled. I, even as Eve was in the garden, the Bible says Satan. She she looked to God and she said the Satan the, the serpent beguiled me. And what fascinating thing that I found out is when you go back to the Hebrew w- root word for beguiled that's used there, you find you become a debtor. Which then, all of a sudden, you're talking about all this money, it lines up with all of Scripture of what we see happening in the physical world that happened in the spiritual. This is why Jesus came and he said, it is paid in full. There's a, there's a reason he says that. I've balanced the books. There's no debt that's owed. The wages right. of sin is debt or is death. So all these money kind of terms that we normally think of, they're also spiritual terms that are behind the scenes, but they're manifesting in in the physical. So I, I tried to make that correlation because when I saw that in Genesis, I was like, wow, I can see all through Scripture how this plays out ultimately with Christ balancing the books for us through where we don't have any debt uh, to God for our sins. I don't know what you think. I'll let you, I'll let you chime in on that. Well, I think you're right on the money. The very thing of it is that we had better start making some changes. We, and it's kind of like Tim just said, we are seeing prophecy unfold before our very eyes. And boy, I mean to tell you, the very fact of Satan working here, look what it's done to the family. Look what it's done to uh, the community. And look what it's done to the nation. Look what it's done around the world. There's chaos and discontent, and on and on and on it goes. So, you know, we can do something about it. Okay. But we better do something. Yeah, we, we've got to be those people. You know, Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, I don't know if they were using the same kind of— I know they've used a lot of this for thousands of years, don't get me wrong, in different cultures, but I don't know if that's what was going on in Hosea's day or not, but I know this— uh, if we don't learn the law and learn how it's operating, it's going to end up destroying us. Uh, it's right. We're piling up debt and debt and debt and more judgment and judgment and judgment. It's, it's an injustice, if you will, along with our sins against God as well. But uh, let's move on. Presumption 7. The presumption—wait oh, a minute. Did we just, No, we didn't do that one, did we? This one's going to blow your mind, people. The presumption of court of guard. It is. It's going to blow their mind. Because when I heard it, I was like, what? The presumption of court of guardians. And by the way, let me just say it. By the time Ron gets to speak to this, we're going to be out of time for the radio show. So you guys join us over at sonsoflibertymedia.com, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty, or any of my uh, public or private uh, Facebook pages, uh, we're on there. The presumption of court guardians is the presumption that as you may be listed as a resident of a ward of a local government area and have listed on your passport the letter P, 
you are a pauper and therefore under the guardian powers of the government. In other words, you're considered a little child and government is, is big daddy, big brother, big mama, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the powers of the government and its agents as a court of guardians, unless this presumption is openly challenged to demonstrate you are both a general guardian and general executor of the matter or a trust before the court, the presumption stands and you are by default, listen, a pauper and lunatic and therefore must obey the rules of the clerk of guardians or the clerk of magistrate's court. I couldn't believe that when I heard that. You're considered a pauper. Now, government-wise, me and my family are considered the poverty lever, so we'd be considered paupers even though we're rich uh, in Christ and even though we're not dirt poor by any means at all. But a lunatic? Can you help us out there, Ron? What's this all about? Well, I hope that people are beginning to see the big picture. Do you see how this 12 presumptions progressively start restricting and start closing in on you and your rights and whatever. It, 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 it's, it's a process that's designed for the very pur- purpose of breaking you down morally. It's for the purpose of breaking you down emotionally. It's to break you down intellectually. It's to break you down financially, etc. so that you are just this thing that they can do anything that they want about it. They want to take total control of you and your property, etc. That's why you're called a pauper. They consider that you don't have anything, therefore you don't deserve anything. That's what people miss in this equation. Okay, so basically, let's see if we can bring this to, to where it is. Just like Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, who were the law, the attorneys of the day, if you will, And he pronounced woes on them in Matthew 23, a bunch of those. And he said, I'm leaving your house desolate. But they were out and he said to them, he says, Abraham's not your father because they they claim to be, they claim to be Jews. They claim to be from the line of Abraham. And, you know, he's our father. You're, you're a, you're a bastard child. You're born of fornication, all this kind of stuff. That's what they were claiming against him. And he said, well, wait a minute. He said, you're not, Abraham's not your daddy. Your daddy is the devil the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what the court system is out to do. It's out to kill you, to destroy you, to steal from you, all of that, isn't it? Well, that's what the attorneys do because they're there on that side of the fence. Yeah. Wake up, folks. Wake up and look what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Amen. When you're hiring an attorney, you're feeding that animal. Okay. You're right. feeding that animal. Let, let me real quickly, we're about to close out the show here. I want to show people... Uh, the um, Ron's website. You can just go to rongibson.info rongibson.info to take you over to his site. You can check him out. He'll tell you about the land patents. Uh, that's really his specialty and some of these other things if you have questions. Bradley be with you at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing. Adios. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from uh, Red State Talk Radio, and we're we're more than halfway through here. Uh, we are at, uh, let me pull up my page here again, we are at presumption number eight, and these go by pretty quick, but I hope people are, are learning some things here, Ron, because I tell you, it's, when I, when I started getting into this about November or October last year, and I'm, 
I'm by no means an expert. I'm learning things as I go, and I'm having to correct things that I thought I understood and didn't understand and all these kinds of stuff. But these presumptions, it's important for people, instead of trusting some guy who has his allegiance not to the law, but to some kind of, I don't know, you, you, we call it a guild. I'd say it's a fraternity. He, he's got something, you know, his, his secret oath to them, and you think, He's got my best interests in mind. That's why I'm paying him all this money is he's supposed to be protecting me, but he's not. Now we're dealing with presumption number eight, and I want people to hear this. The presumption of court of trustees is that members of the private bar guild, the American Bar Association, presume you accept the office of trustee as a public servant and government employee, that you accept it, you the individual. Just by attending a Roman court, as such courts are always for public trustees by the rules of the guild and the Roman system, unless this presumption is openly challenged to state you are merely visiting by invitation to clear up the matter and you are not a government employee or public trustee in this instance. The presumption stands and is assumed as one of the most significant reasons to claim jurisdiction simply because you appeared. Tell us what's going on there, Ron. Well, I think it just it kind of speaks for itself. And I get back to this point of presumption. Uh, dangerous, dangerous uh, word and meaning because it can mean anything. They can do and say anything, and you have no defense. And that's what we're seeing in our courts there today. They want to put you in a guardianship so that they then can take your home, your property, your vehicles, your money, your retirement. I'll tell you, to destroy you means nothing to these people. It means nothing to them. They go home, smile, clap their hands, and wash their hands of the dirty laundry, only to commit more dirty laundry the next day. And uh, it might be kind of a crude illustration, but the very point that we had better start putting a stop to this stuff, and I can't emphasize that to you enough, simply because now you're being degraded to the point of, of, of worthlessness, so to speak. And is that where you want to be? Is that how you want to be looked upon? Is that how you want to be treated? Yeah. I don't think so. And there are some wonderful people out across this great land. I meet them and talk with them every day. And I'm just telling you, folks, you need some help, then let's get together and get it done. Amen. Thanks to him for programs like his and many others that gives me a chance to share what I have and the years of experience that I have. I've been around. Uh, I've been beat up. Uh, like a lot of people, but I learn and I study. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls who do, but I study. And uh, it, it, it's starting to pay off. Yeah, Ron, I think you'd fit right down in the South. I know you're happy out there in, in Montana land, but I think you'd be you'd be really happy out here in the deep South because you sound like you sound like a good old country boy like I am. Um, but you know, one of these things when you're bringing this up, it reminds me of what I've said over and over and over again about these background checks for uh, to to purchase a, a firearm. 
the the assumption is you are guilty until you prove your innocence, which is the it's just completely backwards from how American government is supposed to be. Is you're presumed innocent until proven guilty, but and this Jim, is what, that's what the administrative procedure right. act yeah. put in motion. You're guilty of everything. Yeah, you get acquitted of one, you're still considered to be guilty of all the rest of it. My oh my oh my. Oh, the deception, the deception is there. And I hope people, again, get this spiritual context of why we give the gospel. What does Satan do? He is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you for everything under the sun unless you know who your authority is, and that is you are in Jesus Christ and that you trample upon snakes and scorpions, right? You bear the testimony out of your mouth uh, by the blood of the Lamb. And if people can't see the spiritual side, it's because God's not open your eyes. But I pray God would open people's eyes here, Ron, not just to what we're talking about in a court, but to their spiritual condition before the Lord. And they've got to come out of that and see it for what it is and cling to Christ, take hold of Christ and leave their sin, their lawlessness behind. Um, With that said, Let's move to presumption number nine. The presumption of government acting in two roles as executor and beneficiary. And you can, I I understand that an individual can do that. They can wear two hats, but they have to take one off to put the other one on, so to speak. Uh, But the, the government is doing it two roles, they're acting executor and beneficiary, is that for the matter at hand, the private bar guild appoint the judge magistrate in the capacity of the executor, while the prosecutor acts in the capacity of beneficiary of the trust for the current matter. Unless this presumption is openly challenged to demonstrate you are both a general guardian and general executor of the matter or the trust before the court, The presumption stands, and you are by default the trustee, therefore must obey the rules of the executor, the judge, or the magistrate. Can you help people understand all of that? Because we got executor, we got beneficiary, we got trust. What are all those things happening that's in there for the the person who doesn't even think in, in those kind of terms? Well, basically what it's saying is that they're moving in and they're taking total control. That's what that really boils down to, that they are executor, they're the trustee, they're the beneficiary, uh, all of that stuff, which is signifying that you no longer have rights, you no longer have any benefit or protection of any kind, and you don't even now own any property. They've taken, commandeered it, if you pirate it, however you want to define it. And so as a result of that, here we are trying to fight this system when we've let it go way too long. And then now, the, have you ever noticed that a thief, when he robs one place and got by with it, he'll come back and rob it again? And if nobody stops him, he'll keep robbing that place as long as they let him come and take the cash out of the cash register. Kind of the same point about the courts and or politicians. So... Boy, I could do a whole class on that. (laughs) Yeah, I think you could. I think you could. All right, presumption number 10, the presumption of executor desantort. You'll have to explain that because that sounds like Latin to me, is the presumption that if the accused does seek to assert their right as executor and beneficiary over their body, mind, and soul, they are acting as an executor desantort 
or a false executor challenging the rightful judge as executor. Therefore, the judge magistrate assumes the role of true executor and has the right to have you arrested, detained, fined, or forced into a psychiatric evaluation unless this presumption is openly challenged by not only asserting one's position as executor, as well as questioning if the judge or magistrate is seeking to act as executor de santort, the presumption stands and the judge or magistrate of the private bar guild may seek the assistance of bailiffs or sheriffs to assert their false claim. This is incredible. Well, it shows you now that the enforcement part of this whole 12 presumption is now put in effect. Now they can start arresting you. They can put you in an assail asylum. Uh, sometime we have time, I'll tell you a story about that. Uh, but that, see, all of this is a progression, and I hope you folks are seeing that. This is dangerous stuff, folks, because it's all right as long as it's happening to somebody else. But what if they come knocking on your door? They come drag you into court. You know, I, I've learned something in my long years of life. I've learned that there are three types of people. And the three types of people are this. Number one are those who make things happen. The second group of people that I notice are those who watch things happen. And the third group of people are those who look around one day and wonder what happened. And and we kind of chuckle at that. But my challenge to you here today is, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you willing to make things happen? I'm going to tell you something else. Every one of you have something to contribute. Every single one of you. Amen. Don't think, well, what can I do? And whenever I do seminars, I have people come up to me all the time. And they say, Ron, what can I do? I'm just one. And I say, but you are one. And you and I make two. And Tim makes three. Amen. And you see where I'm going here? I do. There's power in numbers. And we are we the people. I don't know if you understand, but when the Commonwealth of Delaware uh, was to go to sign the, the first signers on the Constitution, uh, they said there's something not right here. They entered three words into that. And if you look very close, you'll see the slant of the letters are different. And they put in we the people. And I've done diligent research to determine whether, in fact, they knew what they were doing or whether they did it by accident or whether they did it by divine intervention. But it doesn't matter what they did. They made every American a king of your land. You get that? Then why are we acting like slaves? Why are we allowing ourselves to become and treated like slaves when we're kings? We have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and our protector. Why don't we call on him? The well, psalmist David said, yep. Lord, protect me by standing in front. Amen. Boy, I love that. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is king. There, There is no king except Jesus. We are, his, we are, we are spoken of in the scriptures as his ambassadors. Uh, when when we talked about land, and we're going to talk about the land patent and uh, in, in the next episode, but we you and I talked about that. We don't actually own the land. The land is owned by God. We're merely stewards of that. Right. But but we are stewards. We're not uh, subservient to other 
you know, self-made kings who usurp the law and do what they're doing, things that we're talking about here. So help me out here just a second before we move on to the next one. What is an executor de son tort? What does that de son tort mean? Executor de tort, in essence, means the the, the, the official uh, authority. Okay. okay. Basically, the official authority. And everybody that goes into a court is really that. They're the official authority when they step inside the courtroom. They just have to exert that and say, wait a minute, you're the fake authority up here. I'm I'm the real executor. I'm the real beneficiary uh, when we're talking about these issues that we're talking about. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. All right. Uh, presumption number 11. The presumption of incompetence is the presumption that you are at least ignorant of the law, which many of us are. I mean, again, we go back to Hosea, uh, and he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and it's about the law. That's what they're being, that's what they're being mm-hmm. driven into. And he says, if you don't know the law, if you, don't, if you, if you want to forsake me, then I'm going to forsake your children. He goes on to talk about it. I mean, that's a scary thing. Uh, not the courts, but what God says. I'm going to forsake your children. That's a, that should frighten every parent. Uh, but he says, you're at least ignorant of the law, therefore incompetent to present yourself and argue properly. Therefore, the judge magistrate as executor has the right to have you arrested, detained, fined, or forced into psychiatric evaluation because you're assumed to be a lunatic, right? Unless this presumption is openly challenged to the fact that you know your position as executor and beneficiary and actively rebuke and object to any contrary presumptions, then it stands by the time of pleading that you are incompetent, then the judge or magistrate can do what they need to keep you obedient. Wow. Okay. So the presumption of incompetence. Would you say most people going into the courtroom are incompetent? Absolutely. I have to tell you, uh, I've been called a lunatic more than once in my life. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So so they can do this, but this idea. Oh, Ron, I got to tell you, they can. Not only arrest you, detain you, fine you, but they can force you into a psychiatric evaluation. Now, let me ask you something. With all this talk that's been going on since, I don't know, Sandy Hook, and they came out and they started talking about this mental health issue, and they want the federal government to have you know, authority over mental Determine who's mentally competent and who isn't. I can just see them saying, yeah, you guys prayed the sky genie up there. You really are lunatics. There's no doubt about that. Does that fall in line with some of this? Is that sort of manifesting what this presumption is? Absolutely. That's exactly right. Uh, You know, the same thing with the Child Services Division. It's the largest human trafficker in the world. Uh, Tell the parents that they're incompetent, that they can't parent, da-da-da-da-da-da, just for the sake of stealing the children and, and putting them in positions of satanic sacrifices or or are they surrendering uh, unwillingly of their body parts for sale? It's so sick out there, makes you want to throw up. Well, if it makes us want to do that, imagine what it does to God that He wants to do that too. Oh presumption chapter or number twelve, the presumption of guilt. And this is what we. I, I guess I gave a spoiler a little earlier. The presumption of guilt is the presumption that as it is presumed to be a private business meeting of the Bar Guild, you are guilty whether you plead guilty, 
do not plead or plead not guilty. Therefore, unless you either have previously prepared an affidavit of truth and motion to dismiss with extreme prejudice onto the public record or call a demurrer, then the presumption is you are guilty and the private bar guild can hold you until a bond is prepared to guarantee the amount the guild wants to profit from you. So help us out here. Um, what is what is um, a demur? They want to they want to prejudice onto the public record or call it demur. What is a demur? Well, a demur is really a situation or a position that you're put in of of which you have no control over. Okay, so so basically, we go back to what we said before. You're the ward, or you're the child, and mommy and daddy are handling it between the prosecutor and the judge, right? Is that kind of what's going on? Yes. Okay. All right. And then it says you're guilty, and the private bar guild can hold you until a bond is prepared. Is this what we get into when we talk about uh, things like? Uh, when a bail is issued and bonds and things of this nature, when somebody's accused of a particular crime, or is, or is there something else that I'm missing there? But that's the second bond. Okay. The very fact that you were detained and or arrested or held without charge, there's already a bond that's been created. The bond that uh, the secondary bond is usually in the form of surety bond or a bail bond, they're called. <clears throat> Of which then gets you out of which you're guarantee you're guaranteeing that you're gonna show up for the court thing uh, so uh, here they've already made money on you if you don't show up for court now they they cash in on the the surety bond and everybody gets to split that up so you know here again you're always guilty. Well, that's the, again, this brings back another spiritual aspect where Jesus looked at, at these guys who are engaged in this kind of thing. You know, they got their 613 or whatever they are, uh, laws that they've made up um, and, and all kinds of stuff that they've, they've added and poured on to people that God never put on the people. And Jesus he says, you can't serve God and mammon. God and money, he puts it up against there, and he says, you're going to serve one or the other. And he says, you're paying attention to all this little stuff of tithing, you know, the mint and the anise and the cumin. You're, you're doing all this stuff, and you should do it, but you're leaving off the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy. And they're not engaged in that. They just want a corrupted, it isn't even a corrupted justice. It's just a corrupted um, attack on people to somehow hold themselves up as holier than the rest of the people as as though they are God themselves is that am I missing something there is that what he's presenting that's exactly right and that's what we're dealing with in our our today's atmosphere of politicians and and uh, law enforcement and especially in the attorney field uh, 99 percent of them uh, want to show you or portray to you, how smart they are and how dumb we are. I see that all the time and it just infuriates me because they don't know nothing about law. <laughs> to laugh, they know nothing about law. Yeah. Uh, they know statutes and codes, they know how to write brief, and they know how to create a controversy. Therefore, they get somebody to hire them and go fight on an issue that's totally irrelevant of anything. They're masters at it. 
Yeah, they're well, they're basically deceivers from what I can see in all of this. They're out to deceive you, to draw you into a fight, and your responsibility, my responsibility, is to shut the fight down before it ever happens, to really take the legs out from under them by saying everything you're putting forth, everything you're representing, every this this whole Gosh, how do we say it? A kangaroo court, a banana court, a banana republic court here that's going on is a fraud, and you guys are only after money. That's what you're after. You're not after justice. You're not after to settle mm-hmm. something up with people. You're after money, and this has nothing to do with bringing justice. And unless the people know that, they can't fight back against it. But you know, Ron, I'm encouraged. Bradley and I were talking about it earlier today. I'm encouraged because more and more people are picking up on this stuff, and I think they're going to stand it on its head. Now, our system's collapsing. There's no question about that. But they're going to. I think people are going to start to learn this stuff. God's going to give them some wisdom out of this, and they're going to be able to stand on their own two feet. So let's end on, on, a, on, a, on a note of hope for people. What is the remedy to all of this? Now, we've, we've kind of given some remedies to each of these presumptions as to we have to challenge these things. What are some remedies that you would give to the people uh, as we begin to close this out? Well, probably the first and foremost thing is to get you a little constitutional book or look it up on the Internet. Uh, But we need to learn and memorize what our Bill of Rights are. Uh, The federal courts have said in numerous cases that if you don't know your rights, you don't have any rights. And unfortunately, that's a true statement. People know that they're being wrong, but they don't know how to put their finger on it, really, and adequately describe it uh, in in very simple terms, uh, nor do they know how to defend it. And I don't mean you got to have a law degree or all of that stuff there to defend your rights, but you need to learn what the basis is. Here's what you're doing. I remember going to law school and the professor just made a mission for all of the time that I was in law school. He said, always challenge jurisdiction. Always challenge jurisdiction. And I mean, he hammered that on us and hammered that on us until I almost got sick of hearing it. But it wasn't until I got out in the world and I started doing that, and it's amazing. People start backing off. Now, I want to tell you a little short story, if I may, if i got a few moments. Yes, Tim. please. Yeah, go ahead. I'm the chairman of the largest mining district in the United States called Jefferson Mining District. And we had an issue with, at that time, a sheriff and his underlings that were really harassing the miners to do what they have a granted right to do. And anyway, I asked one of the commissioners if, in fact, she would set up a meeting uh, so we could talk to the other commissioners and go to the sheriff and and put a stop to this because what they were doing was a criminal trespass. But anyway, as we assembled in the front of the courthouse, there were probably 15, 18 of us, whatever it was. And as we started up the steps, this lady, Sandy was her name, turned around and put her hand right on right on my chest, part of my chest, and she just stopped us right there. And she said, I need to tell you guys something. And I said, what? What is it, Sandy? And still holding her hand on my chest, she turned with the other hand and she pointed from one end of that courthouse to the other. 
And she said, I want you guys to know something. She said, everybody in that courthouse is scared to death of you minors. And I like to fell over. I said, what are you talking about? She says, because everybody in that courthouse now know that you guys know the law and they don't know the law and they don't know how to handle you folks. And that's just kind of a, of an illustration of the point that I'm trying to make. I've taught mining law for about 27 years. I don't know it all, I don't claim to. But my point of it is when somebody attacks a miner, we certainly have a defense. And boy, these miners know what the law is. And that was the point she was getting. You need to be in that same position. It doesn't take you 27 years to get there. I'm just saying learn the basis, but be willing to challenge the jurisdiction and make them put it in writing. They'll give lip service, and, and I could tell you stories all day long, but we don't have time. But whenever you challenge jurisdiction and somebody's claiming that they have jurisdiction, tell them, I want it in writing. Yeah, because once you get it in, if they'll even put it in writing, which they won't do, they'll be committing fraud, won't they? That is correct. Because now they're breach of fiduciary duty. Yep. Boy, that... <laughs> Those are fun cases to litigate. <laughs> can't go and do what they did. Yeah. So you always challenge jurisdiction, always. You get a code enforcement person coming around, you can't paint your fence, you can't plant a tree, you can't build a building. Say, on what authority? And he'll come back with some statutes and codes. Statutes and codes are not law. Show me your law that I'm bound. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right, and I appreciate you bringing that part up because we have made mention of some of those things before. I know some people in our audience have been actively engaged in their their local counties, and now at least one guy that I talked to, um, you know, he's doing some of the things with, um, uh, and not to get off on some far out stuff for for people that this would sound crazy to to them, but driving without a driver's license. Let me let me change that. Traveling without a driver's license. There's a difference. There's engaged in commerce, and there's one that's just the right to travel that we have as people. God's given us that right to do, um, and, and things of this nature. But they've been given the opportunity, because they've been persistent in it, to teach the sheriff and the cops that have been pulling them over and giving them, hassling them, that, to teach them this stuff, to point them to these very things that we're talking about, that statutes and codes are not law, we're not to be subservient to those things. We're only subservient to the law, which is supposed to be based on at least what Congress said in the in the early 80s, the Bible itself. That is what our laws are based on. And if it's not in there, you really can't be holding it over people. But, but Ron, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I hate to go back to that to Jose again, but that's exactly what it is. And so men like yourself, I'm thankful that you're out there who can help people understand these things so that they're not destroyed, so that they can stand up, so that they can assert their rights. And in my in my estimation, to glorify God by doing that, by trampling on these snakes and scorpions, as it were, these, uh, these pretended authorities. You know, you just brought to mind that... In my Bible, it says, God said, expose sin right where it's at. And he said, if you do, I'll bless you. And when we confront people who are doing us wrong, God said, I'll honor that. But stand up and challenge their authority to make such a statement or to do whatever it is that they're planning on doing. And, uh, you know, what an honor it has been to be here 
uh, Tim. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it more than you know. Well, brother, I appreciate you making time for us. Um, and we're going to be doing another show with you. Uh, we're going to pre-record that tomorrow. So hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to have it on Monday morning. So you guys will have a weekend to kind of play some of this. And I know there's some little noise. Just bear with that. Uh, we'll see if we can get, we'll see if we can sort that out maybe between now and tomorrow. But Ron, before we go, tell people where they can find out more about you, about your website. Okay. Well, I have a website called rongibson.info. Uh, for those of you who want my phone number, it's 541-621-5548. And my email is D-R-I-T-E-C-R-G at hotmail.com. Okay, all right. And that's how you can get in touch with Ron. So... Ron's giving all that out, so you guys don't have to write me. Just if you didn't get all that, just rewind it, and you can play it again. Ron, hang on, and I'll say goodbye to you all fair. Guys, be sure to catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to be back in the, let's see, in the morning. This is I'm going to be playing this on Friday, so it's not going to be 6 a.m. like I told the earlier audience. i got to figure out what day I'm playing it. It's going to be Friday. This is Friday uh, that we'll be playing this. And so... 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, we're going to have Kate Shimarani. I'm not sure if we're going to have a guest with her or not, but as always, Kate is lively, uh, and she's always got new information to share with us. So be sure to join us then. Until then, see ya.